0: I'll tell you, of all the places we've spoken at, that has never happened to us before, where everybody comes up and lays their hands on us and prays for us. So thank you. I Don't think anybody laid their hands on me. I was waiting. For no, them. I had like three hands on my back. It's like, dig no, in a little that bit. Was all Just. Matt get the trap right below there.. I'm David. This is my brother Jason. So a couple of little things before we get started, we are identical twins. So when we were 13 years, and, uh, when we even look back at pictures when we were babies all the way through, I was the cute one, he was the ugly one. But our mom had to put like these gold chains uh, uh, around our necks, and one had a D, one had a J, so that they could tell us apart. I mean, it was very, it's very hard. Like I look back and I still, even in some of our junior high pictures, I don't know which one's which. But as we've gotten older, I have matured much better than my yeah. brother. But what he won't tell you is when we were freshmen at Liberty, his wife chased me around campus. She wanted to date me so bad, but when she realized that she couldn't have me, she had to go to second best. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, it's funny. We spoke at a, uh, a homeschool conference, teach them diligently. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, and after we got done, it must have been 4,000 people in there, we were speaking. We get done, in one of these... Uh, was it a man or a lady? I can't remember. It was an older person came over and you always respect your elders and they said, uh, listen, I really enjoyed your speech, but you guys shouldn't be like jabbing at each other like that. And so we both were like, oh, well, you know, we're sorry. Well, what what do you suggest we do? And they said, well, I think that you should go and put your hand on your brother's shoulder and look at the crowd What are you going to do? What are you going to do, huh? (laughs) Look at the crowd and say, this is my brother, a gift of God. And uh, I remember we looked back and we said, it was either ma'am or sir, ma'am, sir. That is never going to happen. With all due respect, no. So, look, I want to respect my elders. This is my brother, a gift of God. So gross. (laughs) Uh, We are married. I've been married 21 years. Jason has been married uh, 19 years. Uh, I have five kids. I have a 20-year-old boy playing basketball at a small Christian school in Louisville, Kentucky. I have uh, uh, an 18-year-old boy. Both of them are in college. One's at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. I have a 16-year-old daughter in high school, a 14-year-old daughter who thinks she's in high school, but she's not, and then a turning 10-year-old son. And Jason has a 17-year-old boy. Yeah, it, it, this month, and I can speak for myself, by the way, it, this month it'll be 18 boys, 16 girls, 14 Boy, and I, I think it's going to be ten girl. Right? And Jason She's will not, right yeah. And Jason okay, will so not say this, shoot. but his son is uh, number two three-point shooter in the nation. Shoots and and like his being, daddy. Being recruited by all the major Shoots schools. Shoots like his dad. Which is exciting because we his, say God his gives jump a jump shot. shot is broken. No, it's not. Like he does this weird no, thing I with his not. hands. No, I do not. I don't. Really I, don't, I have an amazing jump shot, but it doesn't matter because I don't jump anymore. I'm in my mid 40s. I'm 44. And, and David could never pull out some Jordans like that. Check come those on, suckers you put out. Your, get your foot up. That's this is straight, the pulpit, sweet. man. sweet. You know, I With see Jason. you guys eyeing my Jordans. So the reason why Jason's wearing a jacket is because he's got love handles now. Go ahead. Show true. him the love handles. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we don't want to take up too much of your time, but we're just honored that Matt and the group uh, had us come. To speak to you, and it's not, we don't take this lightly, like, okay, we're coming to speak to a hundred kids, and we've got all these other things to do. No, we take this, this is very important to us, because God has a plan for each and every one of your lives. You're not an accident, you're not a mistake. You know, and this culture today wants to fit you into a mold. The culture wants you to conform. And there's a way to conform. Take your convictions and lower them. Close the word of God don't really talk much about Jesus. Think about yourself. You're the center of the universe. And then lose yourself on social media, looking at all the other people that are doing things that you're not doing. And all of a sudden it creates a culture of comparison. And you know what comparison does? And this is really your, your generation. We didn't grow up with the smartphone. I didn't even have a phone until I was 28, no, 27 years old. And I didn't even get a smartphone until what, 10 years ago, whenever they came out. So I mean, I'm in my 30s before any of this stuff came out. So by God's grace, I don't have a problem with social media and comparison and all that. It's like because I'd, I went through those formative years in the word of God and it, as an athlete and and as a brother and as a son and then getting married and starting to have kids. And now all of a sudden all this other social media comes out. So I'd kind of, you know, been firmly cemented in my identity As a child of God, and as a husband, and as a father, and all these other things, and as a very good big brother, as an example to the young man that I've been discipling for 44 years. You guys realize, David being the older brother, he's the only mistake God's ever made. He was born, God's like, oops, got to fix that. And then he made me. Yeah. I'm the do-over. So, but here... Here, you know, your age group right now, your age group, where you are right now, I mean, the devil really is going after your generation, really attacking you. And and when I bring up social media and all this other stuff, I mean, we are more connected socially than ever before in the history of the world. But we're more relationally disconnected than ever before in the history of the world. And God wants to connect to your heart. And he wants you to connect with him through his word and through prayer and praise and worship and fasting and all of these other spiritual disciplines that men and women of God have exercised for years. And they were firmly entrenched in their identity so that when the devil came and accused them of past sins that they've been forgiven of, you can remind the devil of his future. He doesn't have to remind you of your past or when you now are in an age and in a culture when social media, Hollywood, the university elite, the mainstream media, they all say, young girl, you're supposed to look like this, act like this, talk like this, be loose like this. And this is what's accepted. Oh, and by the way, you wear these, you're not accepted. You act like this, you're not accepted. You're not as open and, uh, uh, and, and free and all these other things morally. Well, then you're just not accepted. And they just kind of push you off to the side. And that can, be, that can be kind of tough. And young men, you're supposed to act like this. You're supposed to do this. And this is what a man looks like. You know what? The world is really attacking you. And you've got the world right here at the, I mean, the touch of a finger. Man, you can have almost everything in the world right here. And so it really causes some serious identity issues. Do you know that anxiety, depression, and suicide, and addiction to opioids, which would be the drugs, are at an all-time high in the history of America? All-time high. How can we have this when we have medicine adva- medical advances like we've never seen before? We have technological advances like we've never seen before. We have economic advances like we've never seen before. We are the richest, wealthiest country the world has ever seen. Ever. Do you think even in Solomon in all his glory, he still didn't have central heat and air? Think about that. He couldn't just jump in his truck and drive somewhere. We're better off than Solomon. He didn't roll up into his refrigerator. He didn't have Ben and Jerry's ice cream. He didn't have any of those things. But we do. So listen. The world and the devil really want to take you down. And so Jason and I want to tell you a story. We want to we want to share our testimony with you. And the purpose of our testimony is that you can trust God with your life. You can trust Him that He gave you the color of hair on your head. You can trust Him that He gave you the body that you have. He gave you your parents. He put you in the condition and the situation that you're in right now. And you can trust Him. He knows what He's doing. You are the only person that can glorify God the way he created you to glorify him, past, present, and future. There's never been a person created like you. There has, there does not exist a person today just like you, as much as Jason wants to be like me. It's just, if there's not. you're not me. But there's no person just like you, and there will never be another person just like you. Now that is not to elevate you. That is to elevate the God that created you for a purpose. And the devil wants to strip that away from you, and get you just swept downstream with the culture. Feeling like a total and abject failure. I don't have this and I don't have that. And my parents are too strict with this. And they say this. And, and I just, I'm telling you, that is the devil. That is the world. You need to tell that world to shut up. You need to tell the devil to shut up. Go before the Lord Jesus Christ. Get into his word. Take time with him. This is a generation that wants to be discovered. And God is saying Be developed. Christine Kane said that and I don't listen to her all the time, but I loved how she said that We live in a culture that just I just want to be discovered. I want to be famous kids will do so much for fame How many likes do you get? How many views do you get all these other things? It's like stop Don't judge yourself by that Getting likes and views, you know if it's a scripture or something that's great But if it's got your face on it, don't even look at that kind of stuff Get into the word of god trust the lord with all your heart lean not not Yeah, see, I knew you guys would know this. Keep going. In all your... And he will... All right. How many of you want God to direct your paths for the rest of your life? How many of you want God to direct your paths to that amazing spouse and to some children and to a good job and to faithfulness in the church? How many of you want God to direct your path to be strong believers in a culture like this today? Yes, yay and amen. And that's what we want. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Did you even know that that reference was... Everybody in here is ready for me to talk. No, not yet. Yeah. You're I not ready. We just about lost the group no. here. Hold on. Okay. Trust in the Lord. Now, we're going to tell you a little bit. Of our, I'm going to give you some of our testimony. And many of you, some of you in here have heard our testimony before. You might have even read the book that we wrote about this story we're going to tell you. But I just want you to know that when we were in your shoes at your age... If, if you, if, if I could have seen a screenshot of myself at 44, where I am right now, I would not have guessed, I could never have guessed the journey that God brought me on and, and the two of us on in our family. I would have never guessed it. I thought my trajectory and direction was going one way, and God just flipped it around and went a total different direction and through a whole series of events. Here we stand today, and I look back, and I'm like, God, thank you so much for what you did in my life. Thank you so much for how you've directed my steps. And so we, as elders in the faith, are looking back to you and saying, okay, guys, hey, we want to tell you a couple of things that you can trust in God. And he's always, always working behind the scenes, even when you can't see him. He knows exactly where you are. And we know that all things work together for good. To those who know God, to those who love him, and are called according to his purposes. That's Romans 8:28. You can trust God. So Jason and I, a lot of you know us from, we had the HGTV reality show. It was at the same time. Chip and Joanna Gaines were coming up. Fixer Upper, great family, solid family. HG had just signed them and was about to pilot them. They signed us at the same time. We get on a phone call with Chip Gaines. We're talking back and forth. He's like, I can't believe God is elevating our families and he said, I am committed to the scripture. God is going to use our families to glorify him. I said, yeah, this is going to be great. They take their production team, brought them into Charlotte, and they start filming us. Their show, Fixer Upper, our show, Flip It Forward, they start running commercials. In the fall of 2014, we're in the middle of our film shoot. And then all of a sudden, the activists, and I say from the left coast, sorry, many of you from the left coast. But the activists, from there was a bunch of groups in California that said, look, you can't put these guys... On television, And HGTV then, behind closed doors, starts having private meetings with these activist groups. And these activist groups went through the whole narrative. Now let me just say one thing. If you believe in the values of God, I'm just going to say it this way. God's boundaries lead to God's blessings. And if you remove those boundaries, the blessings are replaced with burdens. Right? Okay, so we look at the welfare system today. We, we, we look at the, the moral ills and the, the degeneration of family today. Is it creating a better economy for us or a more difficult economy? Is it creating healthier families and healthier children or more depressed and more confused families and children? You see what I'm saying? The boundary of God for family leads to his blessing. But when you erode that specifically when it comes to human sexuality, that is a gift that God gives to us in the context of marriage. Or when it comes to marriage is between a man and a woman. Or when it comes to unborn life. These are really important things that we as believers should speak to in a very loving way and should never back down on. And so these groups went to HG and said they believe like this. And HG, to their credit, said we know that. And they actually told us, many of us believe just like you guys do. We just don't talk about it. And so we said, Well, what are you guys going to do? And they said, We're sticking with you. Don't you worry about it. And so now we're five weeks into a 10 week film shoot. Commercials are running, endorsements are coming in, all the money's flowing. It's amazing. They're following us around everywhere. I still can't believe this is going to happen. And then they turn the pressure up, and that's when they start going after advertisers. If you put the Benham Brothers on their show, on, on your network, we're going to target your advertisers. We're going to go after Home Depot. We're going to go after Tide. We're going to go after Walt Disney. We're going to go after all the people that are going to endorse on your show, and we're going to let them know that you're just nothing but a bunch of country bumpkin bigots. And so that's when HGTV called us, and that's when they fired us. And I tell people on that call that day uh, after they said we're going to, we have to fire you guys, and the general manager was crying. I had to get Jason up out of a fetal position and knock his thumb out of his mouth. He was such a baby. Like, we yeah. just lost a reality show, dude. You Who are. cares? So anyway, all of that, we ended up writing a book about it, and by God's grace, that became a bestseller. And we've been asked to speak around the country, and we speak to the young people. We really want to speak to you and say, listen, what we're giving you, uh, at the generations before you, the country and the culture we're giving you is really disgusting. Because we haven't stood, our father's generation have not stood for the values of God that lead to his blessings. And so Jason and I, when we had a chance to, to cower by God's amazing grace, we almost did. He almost cowered, but we almost did. But the Lord enabled us to stand boldly. My to. turn is coming. I promise you. The Lord allowed I'm ready to. for you to shut your mouth and let me get to work. Do you want to say anything? Because I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. here. I'm going to talk no, about it. No, no. Yeah, where, I do. Here's, where here's where what headed. I'm going to say. God is behind the scenes putting the pieces of your puzzle together, and you can trust him, okay? When David and I went through that situation with HGTV, we remembered back to an earlier time where we had seen a miracle in our lives, that God did something on our behalf. See, we were raised in Dallas, Texas, home of God's favorite football team. It's the reason there's a hole in the top of the stadium, so God can look down and watch the Dallas Cowboys play football. We were raised in Dallas, Texas. Our dad was a pastor. He lived on a we lived on a pastor's salary. So every year for for vacation, we didn't go to the beach or and stay in a hotel. We drove up to Midville, Georgia, to stay with family. And so that trip from Dallas, Texas to Midville, Georgia was about 15, 16 hours, and we drove straight up I-20. And I remember the first time we made that trip. We were probably seven or eight years old. And we took off about 4.30 in the morning with our dad. He was up there and our mom, you know, she's ugly face snoring with her mouth open. Then we had our sister in the back with this big ice blue Caprice Classic station wagon jam-packed with Kit Kats and Snickers and all the fun stuff that we used to eat on vacations. And that's why his teeth are so mangled today, because (laughs) of that. But we took off 4.30 in the morning, about three hours in. We're sound asleep, and our dad, we're seven or eight years old. I don't remember exactly how old we were. All of a sudden, he reaches back, and he grabs our heads, and he shakes us awake, and we're like, what? He said, you see that stadium over there? And we looked over, and and there was this massive stadium, and and he looked, and he said, that's where the Shreveport Captains play. We're like, Shreveport Captains, who's that? And he said, well, that's a a professional baseball team. Actually, I think we're about nine or ten at this time and he said that's a professional baseball team and they are the double a minor league baseball team for the san francisco giants and he's like you know what i want to do let's do it right now let's pray that one day you boys can play in that stadium together on the same team we're like okay just hurry up and pray we want to go back to sleep he said give me your face he used to reach his hand in the back like this, and he literally would want us to take turns placing our face. And it's like, <laughs> hopefully we never get right, that together. You know? He's like, give me face. And both of us are going down. We're like, uh-oh, that's disgusting. Yuck. Gross. Give me your face. What? Yuck. What is this all about? Now that I'm a dad, I've never asked my kids, give me your face. And then my dad prayed. He's like, God, I pray that somehow, way, by your power, by your might, and by your glory, that you get my boys in that stadium to play on that field together two weeks later we'd be coming back from midville it would always be around nighttime because every summer we took this trip It'd be around nighttime this time the lights were on but 9 30 10 o'clock at night the lights are on and dad would say see they're over there playing right now let's pray that you boys can play on that field together in the same stadium give me face he did it all the time until we were about what no, 18 yeah. no. <laughs> we stopped giving him face and we got to where we could just put our hands in there and he would pray God help them to get there and then every year when we were 10 when we were 11 when we were 12 there and back right around 7 30 in the morning we'd hear the the car rolling and dad would wake us up boys there it is let's pray that you can get there well then we got baseball scholarships to play at Liberty University how many of you guys ever heard of Liberty University when somebody tells me that they got accepted to UNC Chapel Hill to be a Tar Heel what I really hear them saying is I couldn't get accepted to Liberty University that's what I hear, and that's what you hear too, don't you? Well, look there's at a lot like of these that. people aren't from North Carolina, right? Yeah, buddy, Liberty. Okay, so we got baseball scholarships to play at Liberty, and then while we were there, it was uh, our main goal when we got to Liberty. Actually, let me back up real quick. When we were seniors in high school, David, our dream was always to play professional baseball. David got drafted by the by the Mets. Yes, and I didn't get drafted. That was tough. I remember sitting in. Church crying like I felt like such a toolbox because there wasn't internet at that time. So every morning you'd get up for the three days of the draft, and we'd open up the sports page to see what the draft numbers looked like and see the names of the people that got drafted. And his name finally came up, and mine didn't. That was hard because this was always our dream together, and it was always our dream with Dad. But we ended up signing and playing at Liberty, and our main goal when we went to Liberty was to get Liberty. To a NCAA regional tournament. And so they were a Division One baseball school. And they had made the tournament before. Is that baby okay? Okay, good. Okay, good. All right, awesome. And so they had made the NCAA regional tournament before. But if, but we had never won a game. Liberty in all of the sports. And this was back in 1994. In all of the sports that were Division One for Liberty. They had never actually won a game in a regional tournament. Which is the national tournament. So we've got March Madness coming up in 2 weeks. That's the basketball NCAA top 64 teams. For baseball it was the top 48 teams. So our goal going to Liberty was to get Liberty to a regional tournament and win one game. That was it. That was our whole goal. In our first 3 years, we didn't end up making the regional tournament. And in order to win the, to, to make it to a regional you have to win your conference. But after our junior year, David got drafted. I don't she was she played really well that year. Got drafted by the Mets again. I don't know how I did it. But what he won't tell you is she got drafted as a tailback. Tailback. That's what they drafted him as. Because he was such a good tailback in college, he'd run out on the field and coach would say, get your tailback on the bench, boy. <laughs> so but he was dumb. good enough to There's get drafted. Who clapped back there? He was good enough to get drafted in that, that position. nonsense? Don't clap for him. Our first three years, we didn't win our conference, so we didn't make the regional tournament. Now, we got one more chance. It's our senior year. We played the best baseball we'd played in a long time. And we won our conference championship, which was the first step of our goal. But our main goal was to not only get to the regional uh, regional tournament, but to also win one game. That was it. And so I remember sitting there for the ESPN selection show. And they drew Liberty University to be placed at the Florida State Mid-Atlantic Regional Tournament, to be playing Florida State on opening night. And so that's what we did. And we flew down to Tallahassee and We got off the bus, and we ended up playing Florida State that night. It's a double elimination tournament. We lost that first game 10-7. to But it's the next day that I want to tell you about, because we were playing against the Auburn Tigers. And at this point, they were, I don't know, they were top 25 in the nation, I'm pretty sure. They were 10th. They were 10th in the nation, and we were nothing. I mean, we were just, it was like a David and Goliath story. And so the crowd was, it was jam-packed with people. I already put my mouth on it. You should waterfall these things, man. It's got a waterfall. It—that's that, the rule. But we were playing against Auburn, and the crowd was packed because there were so many scouts there, and there were cameras there, and there were reporters there. This is a big deal, like a David and Goliath story. And in the ninth inning, the score was tied two to two. Top of the ninth. In the ninth inning, score was tied. I didn't interrupt you. You don't interrupt me. Or this hey, might you be a, me. All this the might time. be a talk they'll never forget. <laughs> but it was in the ninth inning. Now we were the home team. So they were up to bat and there was two outs and one runner on second base. Now all we have to do at this point is get this next hitter out and then go in and manufacture a run and we win our our first game that Liberty has ever won a regional tournament and we accomplished our goal. That's all we got to do. And the next hitter comes up and he hits a slow rolling ground ball to our third baseman. I mean this is like this is great. Couldn't, be, couldn't have been any better. Just grab the ball and throw it across. But it went right through his legs. And the guy on second rounded third. And it was going so slow that he was actually able to stand up and go straight home. And now they were up three to two. And you could hear the collective sigh in the crowd like, oh. Like, oh, my gosh. That was so easy. The problem was is that I happened to be playing third that day. It was ridiculous. It was terrible. I was the catcher. And I remember just screaming, four, four. You know, you're screaming for them to throw the ball. And the left fielder, by the time he picked it up, the guy had already crossed the plate. I can still see that. I can still see that ground ball in my mind. And I let it go right through my legs. See, but you guys are too young to remember a guy named Bill Buckner, who was the first baseman for the Boston Red Sox in the World Series against the Mets. He let a ball go right through his legs, and it cost him the World Series. Now, the difference between me and Bill was Bill actually tried to commit suicide after that game. It was really sad. He jumped out in front of a bus, but it went right through his legs. so he's still alive to this day. <laughs> that is so dumb. Keep going, dude. You just booted the ball. Okay, now we're losing. So I booted the ball. I don't want to talk about my error. Now we're I want talk losing about three Bill. to two. We got the next hitter Bill out. Bill did it. We okay. got the next hitter out, and now we we're back up in the to, dugout. We ended up getting the next hitter out. We ran back to the dugout, and as I was running back to the dugout, my heart was at my feet. I mean, I was so upset that I had made an error when my team needed me the most, But I sat down at the dugout, and I started to do the math in my head. And I said, wait a second. If we're able to get three guys on, first, second, and third, and there's two outs, guess who would be coming up to the plate? And I did that math in my head before our first hitter got up. So I slid down on my knee right next to the bench. I'm like, oh, God, I can see what you're doing here. This is amazing. You are setting this up for me. And I got back up, and I just prayed, God, make it happen. And sure enough, as God would have it, three runners on base, bases loaded, two outs, and guess who steps up to the plate? The Bambino. <laughs> they I remember, don't even know who the Bambino is. That's Babe, Babe Ruth. Ruth. He's teasing. He's I remember, not really Babe Ruth. I walked up to the plate. I literally felt like I was in the spirit. I was praying out loud. Thank you, Jesus. I totally see what you're doing here. This is amazing. I was praying that. No exaggeration. And I got up to the plate, and I was just like, thank you, God. This is so awesome. Lord, you're going to come through. And the catcher's like, what are you saying? I'm like, shut up. Not right now. Actually, I didn't say that to him. I didn't say anything to him. But I just knew what God was going to do. Because remember the prayer. And then as David and I, and I'll just take a, a one step back. As we traveled up and down from Dallas, Texas to Lynchburg every year going back and forth from college. We did it four times a year, coming back and forth for Christmas and and then coming back and forth for the summer, we would always pray about Shreveport. We would always, I'd be driving, I'd wake David up because he was always asleep. I'm like, give me your face. <laughs> I, would, I would wake him up and I'd say, dude, let's pray. And we would pray that God would get us into that stadium one day. So we did that and we constantly did that. And so now here I am, I'm, I'm up and it's, this is our senior year. I've already graduated at this point. Graduated the week before this tournament, David and I both. So this is our last opportunity. And I was up there praying and this pitcher was on the mound. His name was Coulter bean. What a name. And he used, he threw the ball like this, like, whew. you know, those, they're called mudslingers in baseball where you kind of throw them. He doesn't throw overhand, but just really, they're tough to hit. But he threw me this pitch that looked like his head. It was that big. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is my pitch. Right here. And I remember rearing back and swung the bat as hard as I possibly could. Wait for it. (laughs) To hit a slow rolling ground ball to the second baseman who picked it up and stepped on second base. Game over. College career over. Dream down the drain. Failure. Failure. (laughs) No, but listen. I have never felt like I felt that day ever before. I mean, not only did I fail my team once, I failed my team twice, and that year, I was the player of the year in our conference, like MVP of the team. If anybody should have come through, it was me, one of the top hitters in the nation. God gave me the greatest season only for me to fail when I needed it the most, and I needed to come through, and I remember running through first base, and before I could even get back to the dugout, our sports information director came running on the field, short little guy, Mike Monturo, and he said, Jason, they want to see you in the... In the uh, press conference room. I'm like, man, that was fast. And I could feel a lump in my throat starting to come up. I'm like, I will not act like my brother and cry in public. He was going to cry. Not he was ready happen. to cry. But I really did. I mean, it was, it was emotional. And every guy in our, in our dugout was just his head down. And, I mean, this was our one opportunity. It was so easy. We could have we beat that team and accomplished that goal that we had always had. For four years, we looked forward to that. Well, just before I walked into the press conference room, I said a quick prayer I said God I have promised that I would praise you in victory or defeat and so right now I'm committing that I'm gonna stand for you even though I have no clue what to say or what to do and that's what God needs from a young person is simple surrender but then he needs you to spend time with him reading his word and through spending time in prayer because when God taps you on the shoulder you, you need to have something to give out to the people who tap you. So I'm about to walk into this place, got no idea what I'm going to say. I said that quick prayer, and I sat down in between our head coach right here and our starting pitcher right here. And this reporter points his finger at me and says, Jason, tell us about that ground ball. And I said, I booted it. You all saw it. And when my team needed me the most, I failed them in a very big way. But I want to tell you something. One day I'm going to have a son who's going to be playing t-ball, and he's going to make an error, and he's going to be down and dejected, just as I feel right now. And I'm going to be able to walk up to him as his dad and put my arm around him and say, son, it's okay. Your dad made an error in the biggest game of his life. But I want to tell you something, son, Jesus has never once failed me and he will never once fail you. And any of you reporters that would surrender your heart to Jesus and repent of your sins, you will be saved. And there was no other questions pointed at my way. That was it. Because I remember the feeling of the hushed silence in that in that crowd there of all those reporters and the thought that that. Jesus looked like a failure when he was walking up Calvary's Hill with a tree on his back. But he was winning every single step of the way. See, I didn't see what God was doing. Because three days later, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who lived in Tallahassee and said, Did you see the front page of the sports section in the Tallahassee Gazette? I said, No. He said, The most liberal sports writer that we have, a guy that is a professed atheist, who doesn't believe that God and sports mix, wrote a story about you. I was like, what? What did he write? And I read it, and I remember reading it just feeling like, God, you were doing something that I couldn't see, and you did something. And this guy started out, he said, you know, I can't stand it at NFL games when the NFL players and athletes get together and they pray before and after a game. As if God really cares about football or when a boxer wins a boxing match and and he says, praise be to God as if God is the one who was in the boxing ring. He's like, I have never thought that God and sports mixed and that God really cared about sports. I've never once thought that until the other day when Liberty's third baseman, Jason Benham, made an error in the biggest game of his life. And after that defeat, I heard him praise God in the midst of that defeat. And I'm beginning to wonder whether or not God really does care about sports. You see, I didn't know that he was in that crowd that day. I didn't know that God was setting me up for failure so that God could be, bring, be brought glory to that man who didn't even believe there was a God. You see, no, you never know what God is doing behind the scenes. All you have to do is be faithful to trust him. And then he will put the pieces of the puzzle together for you. So the world will tell you that failure is over. But there's really no such thing as failure in the kingdom. You're either winning or you're learning. You know, I mean, you're always moving forward. And it's, it's so amazing that the Bible is the only book that takes all of its heroes and shows you all of their warts. Highlights the stories of their failures And then when they confess and they get things right, then what does God do with them? He uses them for his glory. And so in this little story right here, be encouraged that you are not defined by what the world calls success. It's the process. It's the journey. It's it's, it's your 100% effort. It's glorifying God in all you say and in all you do. As a matter of fact, when I got out of baseball, I became a janitor. So I got traded over to the Cardinals, which I'm going to tell you a little bit about that story. But then I went from Major League Spring Training to being a janitor. I went from swinging a bat in front of thousands to pushing a broom in front of nobody. And I had to learn, what you do does not define you. Who you are in Christ is what defines you. What people say about you on social media, I keep going social media, and I don't even know if many of you are using it right now, but I'm telling you, your generation is getting crushed on social media. You're getting generations getting targeted by Netflix, 100%. 99% of the slot that's put out on Netflix is targeted right at your generation because they want your mind. They want everything, and they want to say this is what success looks like. This is what failure looks like, and it's completely the opposite. And so God wants us not to look at fame and fortune and looks and all these other things as success. God wants us to see faithfulness as success. Even in a moment when the world would say he failed. But he didn't really fail. Well, a week after that, we end up getting drafted. I got drafted by the Red Sox. He got drafted by a lesser organization. The Baltimore something or another. What are the, what's their name? The Orioles, man. No, I knew I that. The, the Orioles Baltimore are. Orioles. You guys don't even know who the Baltimore Orioles are. Yeah, they do. Don't insult their But incentives. I was with the Red Sox. Jason was with the Orioles. I ended up getting traded over to the Cardinals. And I was, as I was playing with the St. Louis Cardinals, Jason calls me. And says, dude, last night I was in a game in Hickory, North Carolina. I was, I was playing second. I was covering first on a wheel play because the, the guy was about to lay down a bunt. Jason runs over and covers first. Ball takes him. The third baseman throws it. Ball takes him up the line. So Jason tries to. He catches it with his left hand and tries to put his right foot on the bag to get the runner out. Well, the runner collided with his leg and broke it in half. Legit. Like. Broke his leg in half. That's a good Shorter day. than that. Not a good day. Not a good day. But he li- literally broke his leg in half. They had to cut his pants off on the field. They, had to, they immediately put a morphine drip in him, shut him down, put his leg in one of those air casts, and then uh, took the ambulance off the field the whole night. It was a really bad collision. Well, he rehabbed. They, they cut my pants so that I had shorts on, so I wasn't like laying there naked. Naked. No, not naked. <laughs> Just FYI on so that. So he has pants and, sh- and uh, shoes and everything laying on the ground, he's gone. And he knew this is it. This is it for baseball, so now when he he breaks his leg it's like I'm now with the Cardinals on the fast track to the big leagues because I was in a major league trade. The hardest part for for me when I went in just before I got into surgery that night to fix my leg up was I remembered Shreveport, and I was like, oh my gosh i got i I got drafted we're living this dream, but we never got to play in Shreveport, and that was that was the hardest dream to let go of for me, yeah, and so I'm on the fast track. I in now I'm playing in double-A. I was in Major League Spring Training. I was a phone call away from the big leagues. And Jason ends up rehabbing. They said he'd never walk again. And the next season, he ends up going back to spring training. He made a team out of camp, which was amazing. He played 60 days and then got released. And now, all, all the while, David got promoted from tailback to tight end. The coach said, you sit tight down there on the end of that bench, son. <laughs> So I was playing tight end for the cardinals in double a I was in major league spring training again And they sent me to little rock The arkansas travelers and now i'm playing in little rock And jason gets released and it was in april. So you you, are playing uh, february march is spring training Then april's the first season they release him at the end of april now. He has may june july august september He's got nothing to do He's not married. I'm already married at this time. So Jason takes this job as a hitting coach up in a, up in a, a small wooden bat summer league. And he's all summer long, he's struggling in his heart, dying to this dream, dying to the fact that, number one, you're not a professional baseball player anymore. You're not going to go to the big leagues and you'll never play in Shreveport with your brother. So now here I am playing and there's two weeks left of the season. And I called Jason. I said, Hey man, i got two weeks left of the season. I know your season just ended up there in New England where he was coaching. And Jason had decided he was going to go back and get his master's degree at Liberty in the offseason. That's one of the important things for you kids to know. When we were in the minor leagues, and any time, you, you, look, you're either moving forward or backward, but you're never sitting still. So you always want to be moving forward. So when I was in the minor leagues, I was reading, not only reading the Bible, but I was reading really good books. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Millionaire Next Door, Richest Man in Babylon. And you started reading all these things. And I started to kind of develop myself as a real estate professional, but I didn't know I was going into real estate. I just knew I'm just going to make myself valuable. I'm going to really try to gain a lot of knowledge. Now you have the, you have the opportunity to tap into podcasts and all that other stuff. So if you're sitting there playing video games, stop. Just remember, this is either a tool or a toy. And it can be a tool to greatly be a blessing for you and your family and your children and your children's children. Or it can just be a toy that's going to distract you and you're really professionally not going to amount to much of nothing professionally when you could do so much more if you use it as a tool. Anyway, so Jason says, i got nothing else to do. I'm going to go get my master's degree. So he had about a two-week window, and that's when I talked him in to coming to Little Rock to watch me play. Now, I'm in Little Rock playing. And that is the hottest place to play baseball ever. The stadium, old War Memorial Stadium, Ray Winder Field. And it's kind of like the natural, you know. It's, it's the old minor league baseball stadium, about 10,000 seats. And it's, it's just a quintessential beautiful baseball field. And you can smell the hot dogs and the popcorn and all this other stuff. And I'm playing. I left him a ticket. And I remember as I was playing, I remember looking in the stands. And here comes Jason walking down the stands. And he sits uh, somewhere in where the player's section uh, was sitting, shorts, flip-flops, T-shirt. It was the first time, I hear I was 25 years old, it was the first time I'd ever been playing baseball where he wasn't actually playing, and we were kind of in the same stadium. So it was a little weird. And I remember after the game was over with, I said, hey man, I'm going to go to the field early tomorrow and take some batting practice, why don't you go with me? And he says, there's no chance I won't go. I said, why? And he said, well, though, for the last three months, I've been dying to the dream, like I'm legit dead to it. I'm not a professional baseball player. I'm not going to go to the big leagues. We'll never play together in Shreveport, and it's over. And so I said, okay, I understand. But will you at least flip me some soft toss tomorrow on the field? Well, I finally talked him into it. We show up the next day. They're rolling George Strait on the microphone because we're from Texas, George Strait. So here we are, and, and now I'm, uh, they've got the big buckets of baseballs out there, and it's just me and him. No one else is out there. And he's flipping me soft toss, and I'm hitting and just working. And I get through a bucket of balls, and now he and I have got to go out and start picking the balls up. So as we're picking the balls up, I said, hey, man, why don't you take a couple of swings? Jason's like, there is no chance. He was in flip-flops. He's like, there's no chance I'm going to swing a bat because, man, I don't want to rekindle that fire again. So I said, come on, man, just take a couple of swings. Stop being such a sissy. And so finally he's like, okay, fine. So I flip him a ball. He gets up there. I give him my bat. I flip him a ball, first hit. Hits it right out onto I-35, right behind the right field fence. Okay. Uh huh. Every a blind squirrel, <laughs> blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while. I throw him another one. Whack over the center field batter's eye. It's like, oh wow, okay. Here, try another one. Boom. Throw him another one. Whack. I mean, three bombs. And I'm like, what is going on here? I've no, never. It, it wasn't a surprise to you, and it wasn't a surprise to me. It was a total shocker to me. I throw him a couple of more baseballs, and he's just dripping with sweat. I mean, he's like, I, I can't swing anymore. I hadn't picked up a bat in a while, so leave me alone. So we, we grab the bucket, and we're out there picking up uh, balls in the outfield, the balls that he had hit out there. And Jason's like, I can feel it. It's coming back. I want to play so bad. He was like, you know, Psalm thirty-seven, four. we know. We memorize a lot of scripture. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll grant you the desires of your heart. Jason goes, that Psalm 37. Man, that. If I've got this desire, let's pray that God allows me to play again on your team. Just, I don't even have to, I don't even have to play. I just want to suit up, just to say I made it to Double A, because Double A is the launching pad for the big leagues. So I'm like, man, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Well, as, like the good big brother, I knew I needed to make sure discipleship was in place. I said, okay, son, let's pray. So right there in center field, in old War Memorial Stadium. Jason and I are standing there. we got a big David sunflower seed bucket of baseball sitting next to us. And we just bow our heads. And I, I just said, Lord Jesus, you know the desires of our heart. And I pray if it be your will that Jason would be able to sign and finish the season on this team. That was it. That's all we prayed. And I didn't really believe it. And so we leave. We go home. That's a home. great prayer of faith right there, guys. Well, that night, our second I believed baseman, it. that night our second baseman slides into second, comes up, and he's kind of shaking his hand a little bit. And he goes into the dugout. And, uh, and they sent another guy back in for him, and I remember asking the trainer, I said, what happened to Alex? And he said, yeah, he, he sprained his wrist. It's not that bad, but there's only nine seven games left in the season, so we're just going gonna to go ahead and put him on the disabled list. And as soon as he said that, I thought, huh, because in the minor leagues, when somebody goes on the disabled list, you have to keep an active roster of 25 players. So once one falls off, you've got to now move people. The last thing that a minor league coordinator wants to do is start moving a bunch of people around with seven games left of the season. All these plane tickets, and then you got to modify contracts. It's a real pain. So I go back home. Jason is now with me, and and we're driving back, and he's like, dude, you know what you got to do. I'm like, what? He says, you got to tell your manager about me. This was the answer to my prayer, that somebody would get hurt. So the next day we go out to the field, and we're taking batting practice. And I'm in the third group, and they whistle in my third group, so I come running in from the outfield. Jason's sitting there on the front row, and it's a, you know, it's a good ways back by, behind the dugout. And uh, I'm putting pine tar on my back, getting ready to swing, and I hear Jason, psst, pss, what? I turn around, and Jason's like, ask him, ask him. So, man, my heart just drops because I'm, I'm legit ready to go to the big leagues at any minute. Thinking I could get called up. The last thing I want to do is go over there and be like, "Hey, we found my brother." You know, I didn't want to do that. So you're like, "I know I'm your best tailback, but can we talk?" Manager's leaning up on the batter's shell. You know, he's got his hat propped back and he's just leaning, watching the guys hit. And I walked over there. His name was Hammer. I said, "Hey, Hammer." Uh, I said, "Listen, I know Alex got hurt last night, and and Mike Jorgensen, who was the minor league." coordinator. I said, and I know Georgie is going to move a lot of guys around. That's probably a pain for him. Tell him to pull the scouting report for my brother with it, with the Orioles. I said, he'll sign for free. Just put him in a uni so that you don't have to move people around. I was like, there, there he is right back there. And there's Jason sitting there. He's like, he didn't say a word to me. I felt like an idiot. I mean, he just kind of looked at me and just kind of like looked back. And I don't, I still to this day, don't know what he was thinking. But I'm sure he was probably thinking, "You're a fool. What kind of? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard." Hey, find my brother. He's my old brother. He's right there. So, two games go. No, one game goes. Nothing happens. Nothing. Until Jason and I were getting ready to go to the field. Uh, had five games left. We're getting ready to go to the field. We're playing the El Paso Diablos. They were the Arizona Diamondbacks minor league team. They were in town. They had a six foot seven lefty. It was not Randy Johnson, but it was a six foot seven no, lefty. You're one game ahead. The the game before that, right before we came to the field. Okay. (laughs) This is hilarious because he's forgotten part of the story. No, I did not. Huh? Yeah, we weren't playing the El Paso Diablos yet. Who were we playing? (laughs) I don't remember. But all I know. (laughs) I'm the idiot. But all I know is that night we went home and I remember telling him, I was like, dude, okay, so Alex slid in. Obviously, he's not really hurt, but they're going to put him on the disabled list. And and Mm. we don't want Mm. that... We don't want that. Uh-uh, that's it. my story. Now you done lost the crowd. I'll let you have it after I get to this part. OK, um, so and I said, dude, this is the answer to my prayer. You need to let them know. And so he let them know. David obviously came back and he's like, dude, they don't want you. I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. At least we gave it a stab next day. Yeah, get a right phone before call. we came to the field, we get a phone call. So and it's funny because it wasn't a cell phone. It's it's actually a phone probably most of you've never seen. It's actually mounted on the wall and has a tangled cord underneath yeah, it, buddy. And the corner around the wall is usually just worn thin. And I picked it up. And I'm like, so hello? when we were kids, we had one of those, and it was right by the kitchen. And then down the hall was the half bathroom. So we'd walk in <laughs> after school, and that cord was all the way in the half bath. We knew what dad was doing, so we just kind of left him alone. So I picked the phone up and I'm like, hello. David, this is Aaron, which was our clubhouse manager. Is your brother still in town? I said, yeah. And they said, okay, good. Jorgensen thought it was a good idea. They want to sign him. We've got his contract here at the at the office. And I remember hanging the phone up, and I turn around, and Jason's like, they want to sign me, don't they? See, I prayed in faith. He did not. So we roll up to the field. We're playing the El Paso Diablos and we're playing the uh, double-A affiliate for the, the, the Diamondbacks. And we go in, and it was just amazing because there's Jason's locker. I mean, we hadn't seen this since college. We never. I mean, the dream was completely dead. And now here he is. He didn't have anything. I had to give him my big league pants. I mean, we, we they gave him all the jerseys and everything. And and then we go into the game, and I'm sitting on the bench that night. I have no idea why. I was sitting on the bench last night, that night next to Jason. And so he and I are just sitting there like... And it's so surreal because the night before, Jason's sitting in the stands gorging himself on a hot dog and popcorn. And the next night, he's in a uniform sitting in the dugout with me. And it was amazing. And then this guy's got a no-hit shutout, which means nobody's gotten a hit and nobody has scored Is a run. Is that what no-hit means? Well, Nobody's gotten I a hit. I don't know if okay. they paid cl- that close. They hadn't scored a single run, which means the score was zero. Yes. And he's a big lefty. Now, Jason hits from the left side. I hit from the right side. When we were five years old and we went to our first baseball practice, the coach couldn't tell us apart. And Jason could not hit. And then he said, the right let's, let's just try you on the left side. And it worked. So anyway, so uh the manager now this it's sorority night. It happens to be there's like four or five colleges in Little Rock. And it's late in August, so all the college kids are back, and the place is packed. I mean packed, thousands and thousands of people. So the atmosphere was great. And Hammer's over on the third-base dugout, our, over on the third-base line coaching, and our dugout's here, and Jason and I are just sitting there with all the rest of the players, and we're hitting, and it's a no-hit shutout in the seventh inning, and Hammer screams over, hey, Ben!" We look up, and he says, you're pinch hitting. And so I stood up, grabbed my bat, grabbed my gloves, and he screams, no, you're brother. Legit. (laughs) I told you about tailback, didn't I? Get that tail back on the bench, boy. So I sit down, and Jason's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, he hasn't seen a live pitch in four months. And he's like, pray for me. And so Jason stands up. He didn't have a bat. I gave him my bat. Another dude gave him batting gloves. And Jason walks up, and he goes up to the top of the dugout, up the steps. And just when he gets to the top of the steps, he looks back, and he goes, Boys, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> just I wasn't planning on doing much. He goes up to the plate, and this is crazy. So he goes up to the plate, and I see him. And, and while he's going up there, I am a nervous wreck because I stuck my neck out for this dude. He could make me look like an absolute idiot. So I slide off the edge of the bench, and I'm just on my knee. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, help him just to make contact. Please help him just to make contact. Jason goes up there. Now, I know we played enough baseball together. I knew exactly what he was going to do. That first pitch, if the kid would have thrown it over the backstop into the grandstands, Jason would have swung at it. (laughs) And so Jason's up there, and he just sits here like this. And that ball comes in right down the middle of the plate, 97 miles an hour. And I guess he must have shut his eyes because he just, boom, and just hit a missile. And all of a sudden, I look and the center fielder is turned around and just digging towards center field. And I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And just bang, right off the bottom of the wall. And it goes, and then Jason's in for a stand up double, standing on second base, and the stadium erupts. I mean, place is going nuts. He breaks up a no hitter. And they're playing that, that Cotton Eye Joe song, you know. Where did they, you they go? Know. He's out there on second like this. <laughs> no, I'm only teasing. He didn't do that. Yeah, buddy. I'm not scared of Cotton Cotton Eye Joe. Joe. So anyway, Jason's standing there. The next hitter walks. The next hitter... He hits like this little slow punch and Judy over to the, the right fielder, and it's a play at the plate. Jason slides in. He looked like he had a grand piano on his back rounding third base. He's I like hadn't the, sprinted in a while. He hadn't sprinted in Lakes forever. felt a little heavy. Yeah, it looks like he was running in quicksand. So play at the plate. He's safe. Game's tied one-to-one. Next guy hits a home run. We end up winning the game. After the game's over with. Well, yeah, well, let, well, me, let me pick it up something? here because I remember standing right by the first baseline, and the game was now over. The guys had gone into the clubhouse, and there was a line of people and kids going up the stands, and I was standing on the field for my autograph. And I'm sitting here signing an autograph. I got a couple dudes from the paper that are interviewing me. They're like, okay, so tell us, Jason, so – you mean last night you were sitting in the stands? And I was like, yeah, only God could do something like that. I mean, I was in the stands the night before. He was in my autograph line. Yeah. And I was wearing flip flops and shorts. And it was a simple prayer like, God, can you, can you do something? Can you put me on this team with him? And God's just like, yeah, why? Why would God say yes to that? Because he can and he's a good father and he's putting the pieces of our, of our puzzle together. Look, if, if I had not broken my leg... That night two years prior and if I had not gotten released a month or four months before that I wouldn't have been sitting in the stands watching him play baseball and if I wasn't sitting in the stands watching him play baseball I never would have gotten signed see I didn't know all that stuff but God did God knew exactly what he was doing and it was just a very surreal feeling for me and I remembered the four times I had to die to this dream when David got drafted as a senior and I didn't when David got drafted as a junior and I didn't then when I broke my leg and then when I got released this four times I had to die to my dream and and let it go And yet god had continually brought it back to me And now there was only four games left of the season and it was a road trip and I walked back into the clubhouse and All the dudes were patting me on the back and be like dude, that's so amazing What a crazy story and I'm sitting there next to david and things begin to settle in and then hammer comes walking. He's like all right quiet down guys Quiet down jason. Good job listen Tomorrow we gotta get on the road early. I want everybody to get in the bus, okay? Because Shreveport's just three hours down the road. And in that moment, David looked up at me. See, I had already seen the schedule. And he looked up at me, he's like, we're going to Shreveport? I'm like, yep, we're going to Shreveport. Only God could do something like that. Listen, we got to Shreveport the next day. David and I jumped in my truck. We got to the field early. The team was going to do six o'clock late batting or or a late show and not do batting practice. And we thought we're going to show up to Shreveport early. And I had already called my parents to tell them that we had uh, that our last four games were in Shreveport. So my dad and coaches and sisters and mom were coming up to watch the, the game that night. And David and I got there about two hours early because we had never walked into that stadium. All the times we had driven back and forth from it, we always said, hey, let's go in there. And we're like, no, 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 no. Let's just wait until one day we're playing on the same team in that same stadium together. And so this was our very first time to walk into that stadium. And it was closed, but we found a a gate that was open. And the field crew was out there getting the field ready. And they had country music playing. And some of the sprinklers were on. And we opened that gate. And we started to walk out on that field. And we're looking around. And we're like, holy cow, this is amazing. Like, we made it like we we're on the same team that prayer that we prayed when we were nine years old and now here we are 25 years old that prayer we prayed back then God heard it God began to put the pieces of the puzzle together to make sure that we could be there together And we walked straight out the center field got down on our knees Remembering we're like God. We remember praying with dad Back when we were 10 11 12 years old to get here to this spot And now we're here, and we give you the praise and the glory for that. We stood up. We turned around. And there at the top of the stands was my dad with his hands in the air and said, Check this out, boys. How good is God? He found a way to sneak into the stadium, too. He's like, You're not going to experience this without me. Listen, is God not good? He Only God can do that. See, that's a God story. So when David and I got fired by HGTV and everybody was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, people see you guys as enemies. And, and now so many people are saying you're standing strong. And all this kind of stuff that was going on in the whole world was watching us for that brief moment in 2014. Number one story on Facebook for one day. The Benham brothers fired by HGTV. When we were going through the HGTV story, you know what brought us through that? Remembering Shreveport. Remembering back at what God did then because when you place your faith in Christ Your faith will intersect with his faithfulness and you'll be transformed forever And you will have something to hold on to now right now you guys are in the story building years Your story never ends david and I have more stories too And we have more stories in the future that we don't even know about god is building a testimony in you right now All he asks of you right here in this moment As teenagers and young adults is to trust him You trust in the Lord with all your might. Do not lean on your own understanding. My understanding when that coach for the Orioles brought me into his office and said, Jason, we don't have a place for you anymore. My understanding at that moment was that I wasn't good enough. My understanding at that moment was that everything that I put my heart and soul into didn't amount to anything. But see, God was doing something. I didn't see it, but he saw it. And you can trust him. And that's the message we want to leave with you guys today. So I want to finish with prayer, and I'm going to read this. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just going to read it just straight out of Scripture. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Lord, we love you, and we surrender our lives to you. Lord, we thank you that you are on the throne. There are no surprises in heaven, and you are working. You are writing history. And Lord, each and every kid in here, they have a part in your story. So I pray that they would trust you. I pray that they would seek you. I pray that they would find their hope and their joy and all that they are would be found in you and in you alone. I pray, Lord Jesus, for blessings on their lives. I pray for direction on their steps as they find all of their strength and all of their hope in trusting in you with all of their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.